0: Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And a happy Father's Day again to all the dads. I am one. I have three, so I am with you in that boat and as we like to say, Father's Day is just another day. Nobody cares. So that's, that's how it goes. Um, uh, we are in the middle of this series called Losers. And I would just encourage you, jump back if you haven't. If you missed the other messages that Pastor Terry did like later this week, like just just have that on uh, on the treadmill or whatever in the car. There's some good stuff there. Today we're going to dive into another person uh, in just a moment, but I, uh, I, I want to bring something to your attention. While I am not a sports person, I am a movie person. I love movies, and when the pandemic started, when we were supposed to be shut down for just two weeks, uh, which turned into months and months and months. Uh, My wife, Whitney, and I decided that we would, for whatever reason, go into like a James Bond marathon mode. Uh, There's something about everybody talking about the end of the world made us want to do that. So we decided that we're just going to watch a bunch of James Bond movies. We got through about 10 or so of different ones. And there's a common thread that runs through James Bond movies and really any spy movie, for example. It is just this theme, this predominant idea of betrayal. Right, like so James Bond typically or the hero of whatever spy movie, they start out, he starts out with like a friend, another agent, they're on a mission together, sometimes it's a girlfriend, right, and they're doing a mission together, they're on the same pathway, and then something happens at the beginning that offsets it, and somebody goes missing or dies, whatever, and then the story progresses, and you realize, oh no, there's like a mole in the agency, like somebody is working from the inside for the bad guy. This is every movie, okay? So then uh, they have to find out who that is, and they realize, oh no, it's like your friend, or your girlfriend, or whatever. They're working against you, and it's like ultimate betrayal, right? Kicks in, and then there are words that are exchanged. Fisticuffs are involved. That's a fun word to say, and then uh, like the moment of truth, like how could you do this, and there's this like awkward moment. Are they gonna, gonna like come back to the good side, or are they just we're just gonna get rid of them. Usually we just get rid of them. So that's how it works. James Bond saves the day, they all go home happy, and the world is rescued. But that idea of betrayal is so so like in us. Like we love a good story with betrayal in it. This is why reality TV is just like so addicting. Because there's like somebody's going to betray somebody. What's going to happen next? Soap operas have been on for 50 years because of betrayal. Every four minutes, someone is getting betrayed. And people watch it. We love a good betrayal story. We really do. Um, Unless we're on the receiving end. Of betrayal, nobody likes to be betrayed, but we don't mind watching other people get betrayed. But when someone betrays us, like that's that's a big line that sometimes we have to have to like wrestle with. We have to deal with. And there are minor betrayals, and there's some major ones. A minor one, for example, would be like when you go to a restaurant and you order um, a steak medium rare, and they bring it to you, and it is medium. The chef has betrayed you in that moment. You both agreed upon a set of expectations and yet betrayal. Or like when you go shopping at Target and then you do like the the receipt scan as you're walking back to your car. Does anybody else do this? I do this every time. The receipt scan was like, how did I, I only came in for, how did I spend so much? And you do the scan to see, did they overcharge you? Oh, they overcharged me $4. For this lamp that I didn't actually need anyway, and then you have to go back in and get your four like that's betrayal. Like that's a minor inconvenience. It is annoying, it's a slight betrayal. We can forgive that. Then there are some like major betrayals. Now, when I say that, like we've we've all joked up until this point, for some of us in this room, this is a big deal. Some of us in this room, like have actually experienced some pretty heavy betrayal at the hands of a co-worker, a trusted friend, could even be a spouse, a parent, a kid, could anybody, betrayal happens when people trust each other, they have like an agreed upon understood set of expectations, like we're in this together, and then somebody does something to disrupt that, that doesn't meet that, trust is broken, and it can take a lifetime to get restored. When we are betrayed, there's like a lot of impulses that run through us. Sometimes we we get angry. Sometimes we just want to avoid the person entirely. We would like to just ignore them because of what they did to us. This is how uh, a lot of things happen in our culture on a larger scale, canceling people, boycotting businesses. There's some element where, oh, they have done something wrong. Therefore, we will just pretend that they do not exist. And this translates into our everyday life when we ignore people on social media or we unfriend them. Have you ever been unfriended? It's really weird. It's a weird thing. And in reality, in like real people world, that means like you go to the store and you see somebody that has wronged you, right? And you avoid them completely. Like you pretend you don't see them. They pretend not to see you. It's weird, it's a strange thing, but people do this. Just so you know, if you're ever one of those people to meet, I will go out of my way to talk to you because I I love making it uncomfortable, I love making it awkward, so just know that. But that's how it is. And some of us have that. Like some of us have people that we would just prefer did not exist. It's easier for us to pretend that they don't exist than it is to deal with anything related to them. We don't even give them space in our head. The fact that I'm even bringing it up right now might actually be painful for you. And I apologize for that. We're gonna see something though in scripture today that I think is going to be super important uh, for me and for all of us. Because this is nothing new. In fact, this, this sense of betrayal, this response that's in us has been around forever. In fact, for thousands of years at least that I can tell because we're going to look at a group of people in Scripture who were the most knowledgeable about Scripture. They understood God better than anyone else. They knew all the right, the wrong. They could tell you if something was sin, was not sin. They understood everything there was to understand about Scripture to that point and yet they Experienced betrayal in a very profound way. Now, rather than just ignoring the people who betrayed them, they would take it a step further, and some of us do that too. They would actually begin to warn other people about them very loudly. Telling everyone how bad they were. Telling everyone you better stay away from them. Telling everyone, hey, they are scum. They are less than. They're not worth anything. You better stay away from them. Or they will betray you just like they did us. They are bad for our people, bad for our culture. You stay away from them. And these were the most religious people. So, so it was, they were very respected at that time. But then Jesus shows up. And he speaks two words that throw everything off balance. He speaks two words that set off this chain reaction of events. These two words are follow me. When Jesus says these two words, things start to change. See, these religious leaders, known in scripture primarily as Pharisees and Sadducees, like they were like the keepers. They understood God better than anybody else. And if there was a dispute or anything, they would be the ones to kind of settle it. And Jesus begins teaching around this very specific region as he's beginning his ministry. And he starts teaching, and he's doing some miracles, and he's actually gaining quite a following, like some, some regular everyday people that really hadn't shown an interest in God at all before in the Jewish culture. They were all of a sudden taking note, and they started listening to Jesus and started following him around to see what he's going to do next. And these religious leaders were doing the same because while Jesus wasn't speaking anything against Scripture, he certainly wasn't teaching it in the same way. So they're listening real close just to make sure he's not doing anything wrong, to make sure that that everything is the way that it, it needs to be done. So they're following Jesus around this little region, this area in Capernaum. They're listening close to what he has to say, and they're just listening. They're tolerating him at this point. Because he would teach things kind of different. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches this. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So they would be very aware of that. They had that memorized, no doubt. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. That's important. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect or complete, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus is taking something that is true. He's they can't really speak against that. Yeah, that's, that's true, but the, the law allows us, Scripture allows us to give an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says that we should love and pray for everyone. Okay, we'll tolerate that. That's tolerable. Jesus heals people. He's teaching people. He's building his following. He starts calling people to himself. Follow me, follow me. But they're keeping a close eye on him. Because the thing about Jesus is that this following that he's getting, these regular people, it's starting to attract some people that are kind of less than. You understand, for them, in their minds, they are like the religious elite and they have classifications of people. Just like like we sometimes unstatedly have classifications of people. They were the keepers of what was right and what was wrong. They would be the ones to call out your sin or if you had a wrong against someone else, they'd be the ones to kind of settle it based on what scripture would say. So they are like the religious elite. Anyone else under that that is participating in Jewish faith, they are a little bit less than they are sinners. Okay, but they are on the pathway to righteousness. They're on the pathway to be like them. Then there are like sinners, the bad ones. Then there are Gentiles. That's anyone outside of Jewish faith. This would include the Romans who were actually uh, in governing over the Jewish people at this time. So they are like the ones in charge and all of the Jewish people are subjugated to Roman authority. But then below that, below the people who are basically enslaving you are prostitutes and tax collectors. Tax collectors, by the way, are the absolute bottom of the barrel people. These are people in Jewish culture who basically decided to betray their entire nation. They chose a life that was in direct conflict. They chose to take on a position, a job within the Roman government where they could charge their Jewish brothers and sisters any amount they wished, line their own pockets, pay to the enemy, and get protection from the enemy. So the Jewish people looked at tax collectors like, you are actively betraying everything about us for your own personal benefit and your own personal gain, and there is nothing they could do about it. Now, it would be one thing in our culture just to be able to say, well, I'll just avoid them. I'll just pretend they don't exist. The problem is that they would literally have to pass a tax collector almost every day. The tax collector's booth is right there, smack dab at the gate of the city. So it's not like they can just avoid them. So what do you do when you're confronted with someone who has actively betrayed you, is continuing to betray you? You cannot avoid them. You start to vilify them. You start telling people what scum they are. You start telling people how they are betraying you to stay away from them because anyone connected with them is, is not good, right? Because they, anyone who is friends of it, who would be friends with a tax collector? Only people who would reap the benefits of being friends with a tax collector. Someone who's okay to hang out with a trader. That's not people we would want to associate with. And yet these are the exact kinds of people that Jesus was starting to attract. One day Jesus is teaching in a house. A lot of theologians will tell you in this region that this was Peter's mother-in-law's house. And it's there that Jesus is teaching, and people are, are showing up to hear him speak, including the religious people. They're so Everyone's crowding in. Like, you can't get in the front door. It's They're lined up around the house, listening through the walls, trying to hear what Jesus is saying, because of what he's saying and doing is so different and so unique, and it's inviting to them. And the religious people are there, and there is a group of friends who have a friend who is paralytic, and they're trying to get him to Jesus, because they've heard what Jesus can do. But it's so crowded that they can't get in into the house. So they go up onto the roof and they start literally ripping the roof off of the house. I think it's interesting that at no point does anyone in the house looking up at this new skylight say, hey guys, we'll move. You can come in. They don't. They lower this guy down from the ceiling straight in front of Jesus. And look at what happens. This is from Luke. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They were tolerating Jesus. This is crossing a line. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Remember, the guy's paralyzed. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, go home. And he does. Now, the religious people at this point, like they were like, wait a second. He, he's saying he can forgive sins. That's not tolerable. But then he kind of proves his point by healing this man that everyone known has been paralyzed. This is insane. This is crazy. These two words, follow me, start changing things. See, up until this point, Jesus has started kind of getting his close team together. We commonly refer to them as the disciples, the, the 12 disciples. He's recruited fishermen, just regular people from that sinners category. And some of their brothers. He recruited a political zealot. Someone who was against the Roman authority that was going to try to overthrow them. Might cause a disruption. But we will tolerate that. These are the people that Jesus is specifically going to and saying, hey, follow me. And they are. They're leaving everything and they're, and they're doing it because they've seen in this region everything that he's been up to. They've heard about him, seen him from a distance. And then Jesus points at them and says, hey, follow me. And shortly after this healing that Jesus begins walking through the town, and notice what happens. And Jesus, walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. in one gospel says, guests of honor, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Because who would go to the home of a tax collector unless you were disreputable? And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? This crossed the line. This was too much. So Jesus is teaching, that's fine. He does miracles, that's great. He is actively hanging out with people who are betraying us. And he is telling them to follow him, and they are. In one gospel it says that Matthew, also known as Levi, he leaves everything. He left his job, he left his position, he left his protection, and he begins to follow Jesus. I imagine Matthew had been hearing and seeing everything going on around him. He was not you know, like distant from what was happening. And he has heard about Jesus. And when the celebrity in town looks at you and says, hey, follow me, that's exactly what he did. Because the alternative was what? These religious people constantly vilifying him, constantly telling him that he's worthless. Why would he eat with such Scum. You can read all of these accounts in Matthew chapter nine, Mark two, Luke five, and I would encourage you, if you're like, man, reading the Bible is hard sometimes, I would encourage you to like, like read those this week. Just turn that up dial in your life and your worship with God privately and spend some time looking at because there's so much there that I think Jesus can teach us. But in response to this question, Jesus gives an answer to these religious people. Why are you hanging out With the scum. Because their their betrayal, the feeling that they have, that's understandable. To be daily confronted with that. And look what Jesus says. When Jesus heard this question, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Which they have to be thinking, we already know all the scripture. We got it. I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Can you imagine what a slap in the face that must have been for them? Keep in mind, they are the religious people. It's interesting to note that we don't have anywhere where Jesus looks at the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the keepers of the law. He doesn't call any of them to say, hey, follow me. None of them are in the group of the twelve. He goes to the bottom of the barrel to prove something to everyone, to you, to me, to them. The idea that everyone can know Jesus, we readily accept that. That is tolerable for us. Sometimes where we struggle is with the idea that anyone can know Jesus. And when Jesus calls Matthew, that is the point that he is making. It doesn't matter your past it doesn't matter your sin, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your mistakes, but you in your present state, however worthless or undervalued you feel, that you can know Jesus. Anyone can know Jesus. It had to be maddening for them to think that. Maybe it's maddening for you to think that the person who hurt you the most can actually know Jesus can have a relationship, can be forgiven. Matthew, from that point forward, leaves everything and follows him. He's with Jesus the rest of the way. Jesus goes on to do amazing miracles over the next few years. Teaching. He calls Zacchaeus, who is like the chief tax collector, the mob boss. Okay? And I like to imagine the conversation between Matthew and Zacchaeus when they're like, I was a tax collector too. Like, that was me. Isn't this the coolest thing that He called us, like he chose us. And it's interesting to note that both tax collectors that we have record of threw Jesus a party. The fishermen they didn't do that. They might have. We don't have record of it. They didn't have a fish fry or anything. But tax collectors they were like, this guy Jesus. Like we need other people to know what he did. Let's throw him a party, and they would invite everyone. And the religious leaders would always be outside. Minds blown that Jesus would offer forgiveness, relationship, value to the scum. Matthew would be with Jesus as he teaches and Jesus would often use tax collectors to try to help other people understand the depth of God's grace and to confront these religious people with their own shortcomings. In fact, one time towards the end of his ministry before he was crucified, Jesus is teaching, and as he's finishing teaching, he's explaining something. And look at what he says. Remember, Matthew's in the crowd. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes. It was known their reputation, right? They will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live. But you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Matthew's in the crowd as he's teaching that, he's got to be looking at those religious people like, "Don't you you're missing it. You're not getting it." Like, "I was one of them. I I am the scum. I'm one of the corrupt tax collectors that's believing before you do." I think it's really important for us to really grasp this that Jesus forgives anyone. That's hard for us to wrestle with because because there are people that have wronged us. The idea that Jesus would forgive them, that, that we would be in his mind equal terms with them. But Jesus can forgive anyone. What that means then is that we can forgive anyone. Because Jesus can. I'm not saying it's easy, but we can. It hinges on that one idea that Jesus just mentioned. Both of these things require repentance that we would ask Jesus to forgive us, that we would repent of our sins and understand that Jesus is for us, that that we can be forgiven by him, but also the idea that if someone has wronged us, we also need to repent of not forgiving someone else, lest we become like the religious people standing on the outside, wondering how this could be possible and missing out completely. Anyone can know Jesus. Maybe that's good news for you today. Maybe that, like, you came in, like, not feeling valued. Maybe you're the scum. Maybe you're the one that maybe has wronged a lot of people, and you're you're not feeling like Jesus can forgive you. Look, Jesus can forgive you. Maybe you're feeling like you've been hurt. You can't forgive anybody else. Like, there is no way that that person you've kind of just, it's easier to pretend that they don't exist you can forgive them because Jesus forgives them if they repent. And if that's good news for you, and maybe you've settled those debts long ago, you've forgiven people in your past, then maybe your step is to let other people know that they can be forgiven. Maybe your step is to throw a party like Matthew did and let other people know, hey, you're not going to believe this. Because anyone can know Jesus. You, those who wronged you, and people who need to hear it. I don't know which of those is your step, but I'm just going to promise you, like if you're obedient and you take that step, whatever it is he's prompting you to do, he will come through. He will bless you. As we just sang about, you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this simple story, this life. This moment in time where you call someone who really feels like they are unworthy. The worst of the worst. Didn't even care about the hurt and harm that he did to his own people. And that's the person that you used to show off that anyone can be forgiven. God, if there's anyone in this room who needs a relationship with you, I ask that they would call out to you now and admit their sin. They would confess you as their Lord and Savior and receive that amazing gift of life and relationship with you. God, through your spirit, give them that prompting to seek out the answers to the questions they have. God, for those of us who have people in our lives that, man, it's unsettled. Like we know we still need to forgive them. We've just been avoiding it. We've been hoping that we could just pretend it doesn't exist. God, we are confronted with it today by those two words, follow me. God, would you help us to be obedient? And as we experience your grace and forgiveness, would you help us to invite others to experience it also? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, who loved us so much to die for us and gives us this new life freely. It's in his name we pray, amen.